Hello and welcome to the A Block, everybody. Thank you for being here. As always, we do appreciate it. Just want to send a quick thank you to Fox 40, of course, our good partners over there as we get set for all thing Great Cup playoffs to continue rolling along here. Make sure you go into fox40shop.com. Use that promo code CFP15 and get yourself 15% off all of the goodies over there. And Sawdust City Brewing, our good friends at Merit Brewing as well. They've got a collaboration beer. It is the uh, Half Shell Hellies is the name of it. And that's available right now. It's a collab between the two of them. It's a beautiful lager that's going to be available for Grey Cup. And we're going to do an event during Grey Cup Sunday. I can't wait. We're going to give you more details on that coming up for right now. I just wanted to put together this quick podcast. Uh, there's two of them actually here that are a little bit reminiscent, a little bit niche, maybe a little bit too inside, but... They are essentially all about the 2011 Vanier Cup that I was fortunate to be a member of that team and an opportunity to reminisce with Stefan Patatsik and John Behe in a couple of these episodes. Uh, I won't have an intro for the second one with John Behe that'll come out next week. This will serve as the introduction for that because there's really no point in saying the same thing twice. I just kind of got nostalgic and wanted to throw together a podcast and talk to them about some of the background stories on the best game ever. So I did that with both of them. With Coach P, it was more about all things game planning and how he approached the travel and the trip and the game and Laval. And with John, it was about how to beat Laval, how to take on a monster and how to try to, to, to climb that mountain. And then it kind of turned into a conversation about what our team was and the people on that team. So hope that you enjoy both of them. And uh, a reminder that we can't do this without the support of Fox 40 and Sawdust City Brewing. So make sure you're giving them a shout out on social media. Let them know you're listening to the podcast. And of course, tell a friend about the pod as we get close to the Great Cup. We are trying to maximize our download subscriptions, all that good stuff. So we can send a strong message and come back bigger, better than ever in 2020. 22 as well. For now, enjoy my conversation with Stefan Patatsik, and next week, enjoy John Behe going even deeper on the Vanier as we get set for the 2021 Vanier Cup coming up just down the road next week. Enjoy. Talk more about the uh, more about the game than the season because the season is a as a ten part podcast slash documentary series. Um, <laughs> And I don't think that we uh, we need to do that today. I'm sure that we could tell that story maybe down the line at some point. But uh, at, at what point, P, in, in after winning in the UTech, being out east, did you, <laughs> did you turn your attention to the monster that we were about to try and climb and go, oh, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, one would say that... Uh... I had some master plan by lucking into an exhibition game with the monster prior to that run, uh, uh-huh. but no, didn't. And I actually think seize the day, like win the meeting, win the drill, win the practice, and then repeat is the best way to actually stumble upon a Vanier Cup. You get too fixated on the grandiose big goals, you, you start losing the day. And, and it is, uh, uh, I think we made great use of time and we had to, and there was lots of adversity that really kept us focused along the way. And um, yeah, the, it, you're you're right. You got on an airplane to go home from Moncton to to just check in with your exams and whatever else you had. You got to get on an airplane in a couple more days to go to Vancouver. Uh, that's when you started to realize, oh geez, what have we done? We we got to go play Laval. Yeah, uh, and and uh, that that crew was just happy to be fighting for another week, and we embraced it, and and outcome was kind of fun. Yeah, no doubt in the. 
the monster that I mentioned obviously is Laval and because at that point I mean Montreal really hadn't built their program up to the point it is today where they were being challenged a lot it, it felt untouchable at like at that point the way that they were playing through people and that's just from my memory of, of that era you know it because you were watching film and seeing oh my god this is who they have and the body types and the dominance but the other aspect of that before we get into the actual Rouge or monster was the actual logistics because I've, I've always thought about this in the last 10 years that I was oblivious to it because you guys are, you know, we've got food that's coming in on Wednesdays or we've got, uh, you know, our travel is set up and you're just like, be here at this time. We'll shuttle you there. We'll go to the practice field. It's a nice practice field. Like I took all of these things for granted. And now being around the Canadian Football League and covering university sports a little bit, I look back on it and I'm just like, you guys had to figure all of that out and coach. And like uh, yeah. coaching is hard enough. And then figuring out, you know what, let's, let's get these 55 kids from, from Moncton to Hamilton to walk through to morning meeting, to film, to take care of your school, to plane to Vancouver, to walk, to practice, to walk through like all of that. For me, I was on autopilot, but it's the fact that you guys made it so easy for all of us to just do football and, and to be focused. I'm amazed by the structure that was put into that. And you guys made it look easy. That's the craziest thing to me. I, I don't think our football operation staff can uh, uh, take full credit. Um, I think uh, Mark Alfano and our department uh, really worked hard to make sure it was seamless. Um, guys like Stu Smith and, and uh, uh, our, our support guys just stepped up everywhere to make sure that they communicated to Mark what we needed and vice versa. And I think the, uh, the youth sport at the time, the, the, the committee that would know that these teams are coming from out of town, they had enough structure built in that, that would help us uh, navigate some of that. They had pre-existing restaurants set up. And, and so it, it's uh, a whole bunch of credit to uh, a, a lot of people to make it that way. And, and that is a real compliment from a student athlete is that yeah, you just, it seemed like business as usual. And, and it needed to try to be because we had to have a great week of prep because our hardest game was, was kind of just around the corner. Uh, the salmon, the salmon meal that we had, that, that was prearranged because I've been wondering for a decade why the hell we had such a nice meal. I, and I, I again, the U-Sport committee is, is <laughs> got to take some credit for that. Uh, it, uh, it, it's, Vancouver was an excellent host and, yeah. and not everything was taken care of. And, and we pieced together a, a, a good trip from the 3 a.m. McDonald's the, game at, the day after the game. <laughs> yeah, might, might have been unofficial yeah no doubt it's just, it's funny just because the student athlete experience that obviously you had at laurier and being around football and university in canada for so long it's like you you know what we go home to like you know that there's a lot of it's pierogies again tonight and like uh, it's great to go out and get fresh produce and like if you put together a salad that isn't just lettuce with tomatoes and carrots chopped up it's like and i'm not saying that we're poor Right. But it's it's the fact that, like, you don't care enough about your nutrition as a student athlete. You don't put enough effort into it a lot of the time. Not everybody. I mean, there's some guys we had that deck across Wayne Moore. I mean, you can go down the list of people who really cared about their bodies. I was going home to pizza like, yeah. like oven pizza a lot of the time as a student athlete. And it's like when we went and had that meal in Vancouver, I remember sitting down as somebody who doesn't come from a lot of wealth and being like, I'm sitting next to the Pacific eating salmon with a window view why am I here? <laughs> and, and again, it was one of those things where it was like, I just brushed it off to the side and I let it be, but I look back on it and I'm like, man, somebody must've like pulled some strings or something to get us into that spot. 
and it, it's actually the the for for non U sport or, or or UA athletes, uh, they don't realize that we don't travel. Like it, it's within an hour of our campus. And, and so um, part of the, the real joys of going on that playoff run is a thousand little stories like salmon on the Pacific Ocean. My, my favorite is I, I get on the plane in Moncton and the uh, uh, the student says, um, do you want to serve drinks to everybody? And I'm like, oh well, how do I pay for that? And she goes, well, we got a credit card. And it's the sports information director from Western's credit card. They got. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's get everybody whatever they want. Go go crazy with it. Um, and so it, it, if you're used to playing within 45 minutes of your campus, and and you don't go on a playoff run, it's it's years, if not decades, before you have a trip like that yeah. as an, a football family. And it's a thousand little stories like that to actually have two extra vegetables on your salad. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so. Yeah. That that run and what we were able to do and we got to go coast to coast is yeah. is one for the ages and and it uh, it impacted us all in, in, in ways we still find uh, amusing today. We have a lot of those stories as players. What's a story for you in those travels? Like specifically going from a national semifinal to being out there for the Vanier Cup because the the stress level and the preparation level was so crazy high. But was there a moment where you just got to? to be a human, just be Steph and just enjoy like what was happening? Uh, yeah. I mean, afterwards, like for yeah. sure, my, my, my two best friends that, uh, I went to Laurier with when they found out we're in the game, they bought a plane ticket and packed a toothbrush. They arrived the day of the game and they came to the game and we saw them at 3 AM at the McDonald's. And we're like, Hey, you want to come back to our hotel and have a place to sleep? And they're like, no, my flight's out at 6 AM. So I'm just going to, we got our toothbrush and we're going to go sleep at the airport. And, and you're like, oh, so awesome to see you. Uh, so it, we're overgrown children and as, as coaches. And, and so all the things you found really cool, that's, that's kind of what we found cool as well. And it was just, it was about doing what we love to do for another week in a different environment and not allowing ourselves to get distracted and be the football coaches and the, the, the student athletes that we were um, and play our best football when we needed to play our best football. And, and uh, uh, yeah, there were some really fun stories. I, I enjoyed having an extra green on my salad too, man. And salmon by the Pacific is unique for us as well. I would never to this day ever uh, skipped going through an airport. We drove out onto the runway yeah. and a school bus got off the school bus and went straight onto an airplane. I've never seen that before. And, and so there's that kind of stuff is, is fun. You're telling me you never did that in the CFL? No, always had to check bags, go through man. security, all that stuff. But the small airport in Hamilton going to Moncton, we somehow circumvented that. Yeah. And the terrifying thing is that I now live 30 seconds away from that side access to go in directly to the chartered flight. So I walk my dogs down that road sometimes. And I think about that moment too, where it's like, I remember that gate opening it and all of us on the school bus, like not even a, like a big coach bus, on a school bus, just looking at each other and going, really? Like, ah. that's what, that's for us. Like we're about to go. So yeah, there was, there was a lot of moments of privilege. I think that, that came throughout, um, throughout those travels and throughout that trip that really made it feel very unique and special for us. So this might be a difficult question, but what was the first order of business? Like, do you remember when it's, uh, was there any pre-scouting involved at all? Or was it full throttle on Acadia and giving them all due respect needed? And then you figure it out afterwards, because it's like, I, I put myself in your shoes, you know, sarcastically. And I think to myself, if I'm looking at Frederick Plessius and Arnaud Gascon and Don on that defense and the speed on their back end and the kicking game. And I'm like, what do you start watching film on first? What do you start attacking and saying, this is where we should allocate a lot of our time and energy? 
Yeah, I, uh, that's the, the best part about hiring great people. Uh, you know that Coach Knox will have that defense ready. Uh, you know Coach Behe and the guys are not going to get caught off guard, and, and uh, we're, we're going to be ready. Uh, and, and so uh, it's overwhelming if you look at it as it, the totality of actually getting all the pieces ready, but you know you've got the right people allocated in each area and you trust them to get to work and just making sure they have the film and the infrastructure and the meeting time and, and all, all the things they need to get it done, um, we made sure we did. Uh, the the curveball of your academics and, and exams coming the day we got back from Vancouver meant uh, just uh, Claire and, and the department from an academic support piece, uh, communicating, getting any deferrals, getting any extensions, um, and, and staying on top of the school piece of it. Um, we were a little concerned and tried to take care of much of that as we could on the flight home. Uh, then once we hit the ground and had access to film, let's, it, it, if you do it right, if, if you're the way you prep is the way you should prep, the stakes don't change that. And the, the, the talent level and the opponent shouldn't change a correct process. And if your process, which we've been perfecting the whole year, is at a good spot, you might make modest little things that you can do a little bit better, but you're going through your process. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. By the way, I do remember somebody on the team saying it doesn't matter if we won the 2011 Vanier. There's no chance for a repeat if none of us get through this exam period. Uh, <laughs> which was like, okay, yeah, we should probably try to t take care of that and deal with business after that. But um, yeah, the the idea of your process being so sound and trusting in it, I think is is a, a kind of a universal one. But I know for myself, when I'm preparing to call a game now, it doesn't matter if my board is filled every single quarter of an inch has a word or a note or a satira. I'm never happy with my prep. And that's just me. But, but I, I feel like I picked that up because I didn't feel at times like myself And this podcast is not about me. It's about the 2011 venue, but I'm just speaking through the guys of, I feel like I didn't do enough of, of the real hard work preparing to where now I'm just making up for lost time, trying to put it into my actual work life when you're in your work life and you're trying to prepare this big group for this big challenge, did you get to a point ever where you felt like you were comfortable or you felt like, you know what, this was a really good week of prep? Because I would imagine that going into that situation against that opponent, you can never feel satisfied whatsoever with how you've gotten ready. That's the nail on the head. It, it, there is no finish line in any of it, um, but there is uh, time is your scarcest resource. And, and to keep modifying and updating a game plan, now starts to erode your ability to execute those modifications. And so you, you've, you've, you, your framework is your framework and, and you get to a point where, okay, this in an ideal world, the game plan's locks, locked in before the first practice and you execute and, and get there accordingly, but it blurs like, the, okay, that didn't go exactly as we wanted in that first practice, we're adjusting and, and you're always tweaking. And, and then if you're still drawing up on the blackboard seconds before kickoff, you're really sacrificing execution and, and some things there, but it may be new and it may be right. Um, and, and as a coach, as a coordinator, you, you've, you draw that line and it, it's a moving target and every week it's a bit different. And if it, to your point, if, if we're dealing with athletes that may have some physical attributes that they have an advantage, you want to try to tip it in your athlete's favor by getting more people at the point of attack and, and creating those advantages. And so you, you may draw that line differently with the caliber that of Laval, right? If you think yeah. you have more trump cards, um, execution matters way more than creativity. And so you can lock the game plan in earlier. If you think 
that head-to-head you're going to lose more than your fair share of battles and you don't want to be head-to-head you want to have more people at the at the point of attack and so uh you, you are willing to sacrifice some of that execution to try to tip it in your student athlete's favor and, and so when those lines get drawn and how you draw them the the ability of the opponent certainly impacts that the overall yeah. process though and the framework that you go through and how much film you watch and and that that doesn't necessarily change do you know what i mean did no you finish line on any of it did you sleep uh yeah i love june jones's anytime june seems a, a ridiculously bad play he his comment under his breath looks like someone stayed up too late this week do you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah if, if you're not taking care of your mental health and well-being you're going to go into some dark corners and do some goofy stuff now yeah. and we're all guilty of that a little bit so yes you have to uh uh, you're going to be bloodshot eyed, no doubt, but you've got to have a little balance. And again, where you draw those lines is, is, is critical. Uh, I've never seen someone carry as large a coffee as Stefan Patatsik on a Vanier week, whether it be 11, 12 or 14. I, I'm convinced that you go into Tim's and you're like, you know what, just take two of those cups and piece them together and give me this thing. That's like seven feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I didn't like <laughs> coffee until I had children. And- same, same. <laughs> Uh-huh. And then suddenly I, I see I got a taste for this now. Um, yeah, uh, it, it uh, uh, children like football. There is no finish line and you could always do more. Uh, and so uh, when you have a dull moment, and there's a there's a beverage that could get you through that so that you can make the most of that moment. Uh, yeah, coffee, uh, coffee did help and fuel some of those Vanier Cup runs from my perspective. Yeah, no doubt. I would uh, I would say as well that just at the moment that you get a taste for the coffee, you tend to lose a little bit of the taste for the things that drain your energy, uh, because all of a sudden you realize, oh, the cost benefit analysis here is not great on on how I'm investing myself. But uh, until the game's done, uh, which, of course, we had a, a great time being able to celebrate. But was there ever a moment uh, in the last little bit of the lead up where you you vetoed something? Was there ever a moment, and I know that you trust your coordinators and Knox and, and Behe and special teams, you had your hand involved in pretty heavily, but uh, was there ever a moment where you said, you know what, like I, I'm the head coach and I need to take a moment. And I asked this question because uh, I talked to, I forget who it was, a CFL head coach, I want to say like a year ago, that they actually said, I think it might've been Craig Dickinson uh, in Saskatchewan, where he said, the first time that I was involved at a high level as a coordinator, like I really, I didn't want to dip my head into any other rooms or have any other say. And then there was a moment where I got the head coaching job in Saskatchewan and I started to think to myself, like, no, they, they gave me this job. Like, it's okay for me to dip my head in and, and to not assert my power and make people feel inferior, but to, uh, at an executive level, go ahead and talk things through with them and make sure that I feel comfortable because that's my job and that reflects on me as the head coach. Yeah, I, uh, I think the key is, is good people so that you're picking your spots. There's, um, there's never a lack of their judgment, but there is ways you want to manage certain situations and certain opponents and certain games. And, and uh, I think as a head coach, I, I, I've always thought the analogy uh, of the gas pedal is, is the offense, the brake is the defense, but I think the steering wheel is special teams. Yeah. And so uh, onside kicks and, and fake punts and, and different things, um, and, and the direction and how how much you want to be aggressive, I, I think uh, all of those areas and it, it's the, the, the big picture, it's tough for those silos to necessarily see it. And so I, I think as long as you frame it that way and you talk to your corners, I don't want to tell you how to play defense, but we're playing this game like uh, our margins are tight. So I need you to be as aggressive as you can be. And, 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 and so 
giving them that framework and talking to them, or I need you to, I don't think this team can beat us. So you, you can't give up any explosives. I, I don't want to see anything that's like, if, as long as we don't give any plays up over 30 yards, they can't beat us. And so uh, I think a lot of intuitively, most of my coordinators would be all over that. In the rare instance that that happens, yes, there may be a, a governor on a few things, uh, but uh, not, not very often. I, I, Robbie Underhill and I on special teams nowadays, uh, pre pre week, he'll know the fakes are up and, and the, the position in the field. And he'll know, uh, Robbie next, next third down, if, if it's less than eight and it's outside our 35, I want the fake and I'm not going to show it to anybody on the sideline. So, and, and Robbie's like, I got it coach. We're good to go. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, uh, um, I think I did try to tell you proactively if I could, when those things were coming in the game oh, yeah. and how and you got a sense of how we wanted to manage it. Um, and, and so in a perfect world, it's as proactive as it can be. Occasionally it, it may be in the heat of battle, but uh, um, none of it should catch anybody by surprise. And it, it, it uh, back in the chemistry we had in that group uh, coaches room, as well as captains and, and players. Uh, I think we were, we agreed more times than we did. Pre-game speech. Uh, God bless you. I love you. Let's go get them is, is going to stick in my head until I take my final breath as it will with everybody else. I saw Mike DeCroce, of course, our great receiver post that just that clip today. I don't know where the hell he found it. Um, it buried somewhere deep in social media from 10 years ago when the internet felt like it was new or something. But, um, was, was any of that planned? Was that off the cuff? Like, where did that inspiration come from? Because I feel like we, we Disneyfy, Disneyfy and, and glorify the the pregame speech where it has to be this legendary thing. And very rarely do they deliver whatsoever. I didn't go into that needing a great pregame speech, but it finished and I went, holy shit, I just heard the greatest pregame speech I'm ever going to hear in my life. Uh, shamelessly stolen from Gary Jeffries, who I uh, would say that every week. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to choose those words lightly. So I, I never said it until that day at that game until it meant something to you right because he means so much to you as a mentor and a coach for sure um and so the uh and and i did feel pretty strongly that uh regardless of the outcome of the game um that team uh uh, i put them up against any marauder team in the history of the program And, and so uh had to get that off my chest and and just uh as you know, outcome was never going to change how I felt about a team pregame. And, and so uh, making sure I said that before you guys did great things is really important to me. And, and I think we talked that preseason that, that like the, this is a great football team and I don't know where we're going to get to. But I want to tell you before you do great things, man, I, I don't I really believe in you. And 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 so it it, it had been a pretty emotional year and, and we had lots of bumps in the road. And, and so it. uh uh, I, I do think a few minutes in the pregame when we're, we're getting warmed up, it's nothing I stay up at night and prep. There's too many other football things that are way more important. I'm with you. The pregame speech is, is not anything that should distract you from X's and O's and, and get you ready to play. Uh, but that, that is a natural conclusion to a magical ride. And, and uh, I'm glad I didn't swallow my own tongue and, and not, I, I, if it was a little bit articulate, it was certainly heartfelt and uh, uh, it, uh, uh, that group, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were destined for good things. I didn't get in the way, thank goodness. And the uh, the strategic placement of a couple of passionate F-bombs when we never heard those come from you, I think, might have driven home the emotion as well on that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I my, my children hear me swear, so my locker room can, and but my children know that when I swear, it's at inanimate objects or referees, but not human <laughs> beings. 
<laughs> Very good. I like that a lot. Um, all right. So let's get into the game a little bit here. I don't want to keep you too long, but I mean, I, I honestly, by its nature, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> like that's that's the problem with trying to recap or talk any of this through. So I'll just ask you an open-ended question, P, which, which is like, where do you begin? Like, where did, where does your memory bank really start? Was it a blur at the beginning of the game? I mean, what was what was going through your mind? My favorite part, and my favorite part is you guys are doing your breakdown pregame yep. at center, and Laval wants to make this personal, and they come out to the edge of the hash and they don't cross it, but they want your attention. And with the exception of maybe two or three athletes, you guys don't notice. You don't care. It's not about beating them. It's all about you and your journey and finishing it right. And you don't respond at all, like not at all. And an immature locker room that doesn't get what this is all about, that would have been jawing and people would have been off off the rails and, and ready to get fired up. And it wasn't about beating Laval. It was about just our journey ending the way it needed to end. And so when I, I love that, like that is the best start to any football game ever. Hmm. The bullies are trying to pick a fight and we don't care. So I, I thought that was, that, that stands out to me for sure. Yeah, I, I'm interested in that one because I do remember it not mattering whatsoever to any of us. By the way, Jared Jones is the only person who actually gave a damn because JJ decided to start walking around and yipping off at them. But I, I don't feel bad saying that because he'll laugh at the fact that he got singled out on it. But um, but I do remember him taking a step towards them and uh, we didn't care. And I didn't even realize in that moment. But again, with with 10 years of distance here. And with some life perspective, you do realize that that must have been a rewarding moment for you, not only because it showed that the team was locked in the right mindset, but it's like, that's a credit to recruiting. That's a credit to the day-to-day practice of the rest of your coaching staff building a culture. Like, there's a lot of things that are encapsulated in just the decision to not give a damn of what's happening. It's a, I don't think it's an easy thing to teach uh, 18-year-old men going into a very physical game that you're not trying to prove anything to your opponent, like nothing. It's really not about the poor buggers on the other sideline. They just happen to be in the way of our journey. And it's really about proving stuff to your teammates uh, and and holding that promise to them at the highest level in the next three hours, not giving up one inch without a fight. And uh, I, I think that group got that better than any I've ever worked with. Like they did not have anything to prove to anybody else. It was about us. And so that, I think that's an invaluable lesson. And, and they, they, that, that 15, 20 seconds pregame was uh, unique beyond unique. Yeah, no doubt. The, uh, the health of Nick Shortle, I think is an interesting one that people might not know the backstory on, uh, <laughs> turns into a great CFL player. And we called him right from the very moment that he came into McMaster, the bully, cause in training camp, he was beating the crap out of people when he probably shouldn't have been. Uh, and we were just like, that person's terrifying. Don't throw towards him. Don't run towards him. He's going to make you look bad. He's more physical than you, even though he's a first year. And I didn't even know this story until a week after the Vanier Cup, which might be just how oblivious I was or the fact I was playing on offense and I didn't worry about him in the meeting room. But what happened to Nick Shortle and what had to happen for him to play in this football game? Because I think people who are CFL fans will be amazed by this story. I, and so he's he's got the flu worse than anything. And and I'm I like, I'll be honest, I don't know the gory details because I'm like, Doc, is, is are his legs functioning? Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, then there's no question the bully will be there. 
like medicate him up. He'll be there. And so I, I, I like, it's the flu, right? There's nothing wrong with his knees or his shoulders. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And I'm like, okay. I, I didn't, I didn't like not one iota did I worry of, like about it. And I, and it's hell on that poor kid, but that poor kid was not going to miss that game. There's I no agree. Way. I agree. But I also saw him like in the locker room pregame. And that was when I got a sense that something was wrong because he looked like death. Like, and that was, and then I'm watching him play on like opening kickoff. And I'm like, that's not the same person I saw in the locker room an hour ago. Yeah. And, and so I, I, there are, there are student athletes where if they have a hangnail, suddenly the whole board is down and they got to, they got to be perfect to play. And then there's, there's, there's some systems that they, everything could be broken and they'll rewire it a million different ways. And it's still going to go no matter what. And, and Shorty was, Shorty was not going to miss that. I I, like, you just, he's a freshman and you just, you just, the, the, the personality of the kid, you had seen him back down from nothing or no one for three and a half months. And you, you're just like, um, yeah, there's a lot to worry about today. That one I'm going to check off. (laughs) Just push that one off to the side Mm -hmm. and let other people worry about that. That's a good one. Um, uh, so I want to jump ahead because again, the whole thing's a blur and and honestly, I rewatched the game in order to go through all of this, but we're up 23 zip at, at halftime. Um, I would imagine as a head coach, that's, is that terrifying? to be in that position are you do you feel gratified I mean, it feels like have you feel like you've earned it do you feel like you're stealing money are you terrified of what's to come like what was going through you when you realized the position that you were in because we did not expect to be in that spot no and uh um we had them on roller skates we caught them a little bit off guard and, and we were we were our, our zone read stuff they weren't handling the edge we 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 had controlled the clock and and truthfully we had missed a field goal and we had settled for field goals too often. Uh, and so you're like, we're not going to have them on roller skates for four quarters. And so we had to land as many punches as we could. And we didn't land as many as we could have. And so that, that is in the back of your head, that's we're, we're three scores, three touchdowns and, and converted two point conversions from a tie. And so that that's, that's good. Like we're happy about that. Uh, and Marsh, we didn't, we didn't know where we would stand on the national standard. Like we don't, we've never, we, we had the exhibition with them, but here we are. We, we now know, you know, McMaster executes and plays good football. We we're at the national standard. So that's a, a wonderful learning to go into halftime and, and, um, and sort through what the plan's going to look like go forward. Um, and it, it, us having to play out of our minds and be perfect is not what we have to do. we got to play our game and, and we'll be fine. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting to to be self-assessing your place in the national landscape at halftime of a Vanier. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I, it, it uh, how you're going to call a game when you think that this is a snowflake's chance in hell yeah. uh, with the uh, the undefeated Rouge R who are six and zero in Vanier Cups and a twenty three point lead against a team. Hey, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like us. And you know what? We can play with these guys. Um, that, that changes, not changes, but that that's good perspective going into a second half. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and then you come out and obviously bomb goes off and the, the whole landscape shifts the other way. And all of a sudden the roller skates don't exist. And, um, you're, we were backs against the wall pretty quickly. It felt like where it was like, how do we stop the bleeding here? And what is bleeding and what does blood taste like? And it was just, there were so many questions. It felt like, and it wasn't 
the way the 2012 venue was where we're all looking at each other after a quarter and a half going, I, I don't know if we have an answer for the stuff they're throwing at us. It was, okay, we're fine. We're fine. We're fine. But it's like, yeah, but the scoreboard says we're not going to be fine if this keeps going this way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so uh, the punt return gets us. Um, uh, uh, Quinlan is throwing an out to Babic, but there's another out in the path. And the, the defenders that's actually covering the other receiver, Plesius makes the play. Yeah. Um, we DeCroce gashes them for another hundred yarder, but he's oh, offside. No. Uh, we're, we're, was it he, he that was offside on that play? Yeah. Yeah. It was him. Okay. Um, so we're, we're, we're still playing with them and, and, and we're not getting every bounce. That's okay. Uh, but it's never us being overwhelmed and they get a good drive and march down the field and they do score. Uh, but again, it, it's, it's a two good football teams. One's now executing better than the other. Neither football team has been overwhelmed at any point. And so we, we get through a rocky third and we're, we're going into the last 15 minutes of our season and we're, we're down a single point. And, and you, you talked to us at the beginning of that game. Would you take that? 100%. Oh, yeah. Let's go. We're, we're, we've, we've, we're good. So I, I it, it's a weird one to give up that lead that quick. Uh, it wasn't because we were overwhelmed and unable to move the ball all of a sudden, or that they had figured stuff out they, they were executing better than us. And, and they got, they were getting us. And, and then we got our feet underneath us and we responded with a great drive and, and they responded with another great drive. And, and all of a sudden we, we need to go the length of the field to, to not go to overtime. And we do. And yeah, yeah. It, it gets crazy from there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was the, the, I don't know if it was X's nose or otherwise, but what was the, the, moment that turned the tide back the other direction because it for me this game was really about these three massive waves where it was all us all them us to save the day and then like you say overtime is just every punch back and forth back and forth back and forth back it just it's wild and there's really no sense of trying to piece together a storyline on that but to turn that second wave back the other way what was it uh i I mean they got ahead so they went up 24 23 and then that's a drive that we got to do something. And, and so we, um, I think we execute and, and get all the way down the field and Parasini scores and, and the two point convert right after um, it, we settled it out. We're, we're, we're in a 50, 50 game. We're not, we didn't get lucky in the first half and, and uh, we're, we're just, we, we were shaky and a team that's pretty good and pretty explosive. They, they get a defensive touchdown and a special teams touchdown and the offense wakes up a bit. And all of a sudden, wait, we're in a football game. And to your credit, uh, you guys didn't panic. And, and we we settled in and, and we responded when we need to. And, and uh, we're, we're entering uh, the, the forever zone with CFL and, and Canadian rules the last three minutes. And it's tied 31-31. Yeah. yeah, certainly. You put yourself in that spot. And like you say, we'd be thankful to have any opportunity to, to get to that moment in the game. Uh, I mean, overtime is a... <laughs> It's so great in the CFL because it is the forever zone inside three minutes. And then overtime always feels like just a blinding 500 mile per hour train that goes past and you don't even know that it happened. And you either won the game or you lost the game. But the, the style that we play, and I'm, sometimes I'm thankful for that because it's great entertainment. But when you're living it, uh, man, does it ever go past incredibly quickly. Is there anything specific that jumps out to you other than the ending? Like other than being able to piece together? Because I'll be honest with you. I don't even remember what we called in overtime. Like, right. I, unless I, if I were to watch it back, I'd be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I remember that player. It's Oakland Opie or, oh, we ran an inside zone and Quinlan gashed them or whatever it might be. But wow. off of memory, I have no clue. The, the first one that stands out to me is uh, 
Kingston Frontenac uh, oh. wideout. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, we're we're first down on our ten, and we we get to a second and long, and we can't. There's no answer there if we go third and long. Like yeah. I, I, as a coach, you, you don't want to make a decision that impacts the outcome of this game negatively. And I am, I, I'm, I, I'm green on second and eight. Cause what do you do? You can, you take the safety and now we're down two points inside two minutes in a football game uh, or, or do you punt it? And even if Tyler booms it, you're already in Boris's field goal range and they have the ball and could kill the clock down to inside 10 seconds and kick it to win it. And so on second and eight, on our 10 yard line, there are no good answers. We need to convert that or we're really in big, big trouble. And so that, that to me, I don't use, I'm, I saw that one coming. I'm like, Oh my goodness. I don't want that decision. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but that I don't want. So, it. so we ran levels win, correct? That was yeah. the play that we ran on the front side. So yeah, we've never and, gotten that far in that progression ever. Right. So just to explain to people like why you're saying like, oh, I don't want that decision to have to be made is it's basically number three to the field runs a little under and that's our read off the Sam linebacker was, is it man or is it zone? If it's zone and he leaves it, we go to the backside and we play the zone concept. But because he chases and it's man, it's like, okay, well, the second route coming is it's the reason it's called levels. It's just a 10, 12 yard in. And 98% of the time, the free safety is playing high enough. You get man coverage where you just beat the halfback with an in route and, you know, speed cut it, whatever. The, did the free safety drive down on it to the point where Kyle had to go over the top to bend on the post? Because that's the third route. That's the outside receiver on this play that he ends up going to. I, the, the free got in and he, I think he concussed himself on Benny's hip. I think it was a linebacker that dropped and took away the read. So I don't know whether they were playing two man. And therefore, but they had, uh, there was, we've never gotten off the second. So we're coming to the third dig and we're, 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 we've never tried it in a game. Never. And, and, and it, it's a, it's a good throw, but it's not an easy catch. And uh, there's a free that's read it and he's coming down hard and uh, your boy makes, makes the catch. And suddenly instead of taking on water and having to make a choice between two impossible decisions, uh, the drive has started, and it's an it's an epic drive to get us in field goal range to win this thing in regulation. Yeah, yeah, amazing, and obviously the the miss kick at the end and the emotional reset and all the rest. But um, I, I, by the way, I should clarify: I'm not laughing at the word concussion. I'm laughing because you mentioned he's my boy, Ben O'Connor. Nothing that Ben has ever done athletically makes any sense. So for you to say that he he concussed somebody off of his own hip when his hip isn't wearing a helmet and the other person is on their head uh, is amazing. But that's just a lot of things that I've seen Ben O'Connor do his entire life in sport uh, and, <laughs> and in life in general, he's just one of those people where you're like, that's crazy. You can't believe that happened, but it continues. And, and the, uh, the sheepish grin just after the oh, catch yeah. as he's going back to the huddle. Yeah. That's, that's a picture for the ages now. Yeah, for his uh, his wedding, I gifted him a maroon cornhole set that had that painted onto the onto the cornhole. It was an actual picture of the freeze frame from TSN of that. So uh, he has that forever. I'm sure he shows it off to everybody as the greatest wedding gift he ever received. So I, I think it might be up there, man. That's a good. <laughs> um, so you, I mean, what was your emotional reset? Was it just you have to go into robot mode when Tyler misses the first kick and you have to reset your entire sideline because there's always that half second of 
oh, wow, that would have been really great to just be done with this. And then you kind of turned around to everybody and you've got to do your job as a coach, right? Like if they, if we see you hanging your head and, and the, everyone's going to follow suit, no? Oh gosh. Yeah. And, and uh, again, the, the nausea that, oh my God, the undefeatable creature six and oh in Vanier's, we had them pinned. They're down. We've got them. Here it is. And you, you just step away and let them back up. You're like, Oh boy, that's, that's going to be tough to get them back there again, isn't it? Okay. Um, and so you got to get that all done in 1.5 seconds and then it's back to business and a business is, Hey, it's going to be a coin toss. If we win, we go second, make sure you know that we go second. We'll find out which direction we're going defense coach Knox, get them ready 35 and, and your backs to the wall and, and we're matching. And there's, if we go second, there is no, if there's no field goal, if they've got to touch them, we're not, we're going for it on third. And so explaining all those abstract details is therapeutic for how we've actually just gotten there because you do not want to fixate on why you're there. And there's enough meat on that bone that you can get to work. And that, that helped uh, deal with uh, what we had just done, which is put the best program in the nation, uh, which is on the carpet. And we just lifted them up and say, let's go to overtime and finish it there, uh, which is hard, right? That, that is world-class jazz hands that you're talking about, where you're you're saying to your entire roster, the entire sideline, like, I love the idea of 1.5 seconds, process it, done with it, don't let anybody see it. Okay, turn around. And then you're just like, look over here. And then you just start giving direction on how we need to move forward. It, it is. There are human beings as coaches. We are not robots. Yeah. And, and so that uh, uh, student athletes, as they get to their fourth and fifth year, know the humans better than they did in their first and second. Um, and it, it, it works best if the young guys think they're robots for a little bit and, it, it, and the vets get it a little bit better. But that uh, uh, that's how most organizations function and work at a high level, because uh, you've got to follow the lead guys for and, and not question much. And the, the, the older guys are mature enough to do it. The young guys got to believe that the robots know it perfect and they just do what they're told. It is amazing. It's so, so good. Um, and then I guess the, the question is, how did you experience the second kick? Uh, because there's a billion plays in between and points of, of emphasis that people can rewatch the game if they can find it looping around on the interwebs. But uh, like for me, and this is, uh, it's actually why I got my McMaster tattoo. Whenever people ask me about like, oh, you know, you we went to the school, but you covered the CFL draft and how can you be impartial and all the rest? Because I see pictures of you when you're hanging out with your son at the beach and you got a Mac tattoo. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is not about like forever allegiance to one thing and I like, live or die on this. It's like, that logo to me signifies a feeling. And whenever people ask me about the, okay, well, what's the feeling? I go, Kyle Quinlan was walking away from where the field goal was being kicked down through the bench to go find his family, like to find his sisters and to find his mom. And he's walking away. And on the first field goal attempt at the end of regulation, we had locked arms, everybody down on one knee on the sideline, all watching ready to burst up and go and celebrate. And then we don't second one. I, just before the kick goes up, I think to myself, where the hell is Kyle? Like, he's not going to watch this. And so I start walking down the bench. And as they're lining up and Tyler's swiveling his hips around and getting his back foot set, I'm chasing Kyle down the bench going, Kyle, Kyle. And I'm like, yo, you got to watch. I'm like, you only get to see it live once. And I start yelling and I'm like, you got to watch it. Because I knew it was going to go in and he couldn't care less. And then I turned my head. 
see it go through the uprights and I loop to midfield and I maxed out P at a 24 inch vertical athletically my whole life. I swear I jumped 50 inches, uh, like tiger fist pump, double arms and all the rest through the middle of the field completely by myself. But like, that was my experience of literally watching that ball go through those metal poles and the feeling of that never, ever, ever leaves you. What was your experience of that moment? Golly, I, I, uh, I like yourself when they lined up for the first one, uh, had, uh, uh, for the first time ever thought about what, what happens if we do this? Right. Like you're so fixated on being as prepared as you can to maximize the chances that this could be possible, but you never really consider it. It, it is possible or what you will do when it's done. And, uh, nor should you as the coach, like you, you shouldn't, you should be ready for the next play, no matter what. And so, uh, in the regulation, uh, exhausted, tired, like you're like ready for that, this battle to be over. And you, you actually allowed myself to be like, oh, oh, okay. Can't do that now. Get back to work, you dumbass. And and so uh, like uh, once bit, like, like twice shy, it's, I, I know that I got to get my team ready to go again if we don't get this. And I know if we do get it, my job is to get over there and, and, shake the hand of the best coach in, in youth sport and, and tell them how much I respect them. And so I am, it, it's, it's a weird different one for me because it goes through and I'm going straight to, to, to shake Glenn's hand. Cause yeah. uh, that is uh, as good a program as there is. And he's, he's a, a, someone that I totally respect and that's as good as we can play. And we got him in double overtime with a field goal. And so that's, that's where I'm going with it. Uh, like yourself, the two were very different, like yeah. very different. Oh yeah. Yeah. World. And I think not unlike in life, right. And, and a lot of life lessons come through sporting, come through football, but feeling the pain and the loss and the frustration of the first one made the second a thousand times better because you know what the failure of that moment first feels like. So to feel the success of it on the other side is not that it was some great adversity that we had all individually gone through. I mean, for Tyler, I mean, I can't imagine how it would have felt on his foot. Um, but yeah, to, to feel the first kick not go through versus feeling the second, it's they are polar opposites. And the crazy thing is, I, I don't know in real time what the difference was, but what was it? Probably 15, 20 minutes yeah, between so those two emotions. It's a world apart, aren't they? Like to do, to have those range of emotions in 20 minutes is, uh, is one of the most human things that I, I think you can go through. But, um, the last question that I'll ask you to wrap up here, Pete, is, uh, after it was done, uh, celebrating with a group like that and an alumni base and coaching staff that you've worked your ass off with to recruit and bring people in and, and install the offense and the off season, all the rest, um, what's a story that sticks out for you in, in the celebration of that on the first night? Cause we celebrated for a while, but, uh, but that first night, uh, mine was that I got on the phone and talked to my dad and got emotional on the phone with him because he was telling me how proud he was. And then he said, um, mom has a 20 in her wallet. This is like, you know, typical Scottish dad, mom has a 20 in her wallet, buy as much beer as you can with it. <laughs> that, that'll stick with me forever because my dad was never like hey go buy beers you know i'm in university he's never like you should drink as much beer as you can and in that moment he's like you've earned it 20 dollars, buy as much beer as you can and enjoy all of them to yourself kind of thing and i was just like oh that's the funniest coolest like family tie into the whole football stuff but what what jumps out for you uh 
field side, um, couple things. Uh, Dr. Peter George, uh, who was a three-term president, 15 years. The footprint we have, the reason we are a marquee program in Canada is the president of our university made it a priority. And he's no longer the president, but he's in Vancouver and he is field side. And I, I, he's, he's as elegant a speaker and as intelligent a human being and as mature a guy as I've ever seen in my life. And it was like a little kid at Christmas as field side, he picks up the cup and gets a picture and lifts it. And I, I have never been more joyed to see anyone raise that thing in my life. And it, uh, uh, it just, it speaks to um, a whole bunch of things that, that uh, Dr. George uh, passed away uh, a couple years ago yeah. and Peter George building is the new residence on campus. And uh, the reason we are who we are is him. And I was there to see him raise that cup. And he felt the, the 2000 to 2004 rain when they, they won four in a row and never got to the Vanier. Uh, like he took that so hard and he was a huge fan he he was recruited uh the president of the university called me when they were looking for a new head coach like I'd never heard of that before and and so watching that that was unbelievable unbelievable and then uh watching it just it's before the the ceremony for the trophy um watching security uh hauling away uh <laughs> i forgot my about wife <laughs> in, the t- in the tunnel and and, and sure that's my husband that's my and i'm i wave to the security guard and he reluctantly lets her go and and she comes charging out onto the field which was great and then when kyle quinlan gets announced the game mvp uh sh- she dives on him and gives him the biggest hug and and all her co-workers at tsn make sure they film it and they get it up on every screen, every chance they get for her, because uh, she was she was attacking the starting quarterback. Uh, those two stand out, and and we had a lot of great ones. My my two best friends, Rolly Webster, who's now the athletic director in Waterloo, and, and Patty O'Leary, who's my uh, a teammate. They were they'd flown out, and and they they'd come in just for the day. Uh, they they just flew in the day, and the next morning at six a.m. they flew back to see them at the post game reception. Uh, that is. Uh, yeah, you want to think I'm the mature coach and, and no, I'm, I'm just like you guys that, that is, uh, 50 going on 19 and, and have some of my best friends there to celebrate and, and really take it all in was, was telling and my whole family was there and it, it, my dad didn't give me 20 bucks for beer, uh, but he did buy me one. Uh, yeah, that, that post-game reception, I, you could not wipe the smile off of anybody's face at that hotel. Like it, every single person was just sitting there with a beer in their hand, just going, wow. How about that? Eh? Like it was, it was the weirdest feeling. And I, I, there's so many great quotes that I remember from playing on your teams. Um, two of them jump out to me when I look back a decade after this. Uh, one is that, uh, you know, winning isn't everything. I remember you saying a lot of the time, but the beer tastes a little bit better. And, you know, that whole speech of, you know, things yeah, yeah. feel a little bit sweeter. And that certainly that stuck with me because that Vanya night is, is the, the absolute definition of that. And the other one uh, you were talking about as a, as a dad and a young dad, the not every successful man is a successful father, but every successful father is a successful man. Um, that's one that it, that is, I, I got that tattooed on my brain and there's no ink needed. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's lodged in there. So uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this and for uh, being the, the coach and the leader that you were in 2010 through 14 for me. And 
given those life experiences and being willing to, to recap and rehash a lot of them as well through the years, because it's a lot of fun being able to go through this stuff and laugh about just how ridiculous all of this stuff has been for a long time. It, uh, you know, uh, that the privilege of working with you and, and your teammates is, is, uh, well, it, it's, it's as good a way to, to spend your days as there is on this planet. So I, I, I learn more and get more out of you than I ever give. I, I appreciate the kind words, but, uh, uh, you reciprocated it all, uh, being uh, the, the man that you have become and were at McMaster. So it, uh, yeah, it, it's fun to reminisce on this 10 years. I'm going to enjoy uh, this weekend and, and uh, I'm hoping to get to see as many of your teammates as, as we can. Yeah, absolutely. I'd also say this, that I just got offered uh, to co-host with Lindsay Hamilton, who's also a Marauder, uh, Grey Cup Saturday this year, the, the 12 to 6 show in studio for TSN. For everybody listening, I have no idea what I'm doing in a studio show. I've never done a studio show before, so it, it'll be an adventure. But I remember the morning after the Vanier, wandering downstairs because Quinlan was my roommate in the hotel, getting into a cab with you, DeCroce, Quinlan, or Amy show, and I thought we were going to the parade, and then somebody's like, no, parade is canceled. And I'm like, so what am I doing here? They're like, we don't know. Why are you in here? And they're like, you're just like, we're going to TSN. Okay, cool. So I show up, and of course, I just sheepishly make my way onto the stage as the guy who did nothing. Like, oh. like, no, but no, but comparatively to the other people that were on that stage, like Daly, Aram show Quinlan, it was like, I, I laugh about that once every six months where I just think of the image of Darren Detition on stage interviewing us and going at bear seat. Hey, Maddie, nice little juke there on the, and he's talking through all the highlight packs and stuff. And I'm like, man, I am not in any of these highlight packs. I don't know what, what I'm doing up here, but it's, it's amazing full circle, 10 years, almost to the day to be doing Darren Titian's job on Grey Cup Saturday after being in that spot, right? It's, uh, it's going to hit your highlight reel. You got to, you got to, <laughs> you're applying for a job, your humble beginnings and where you've gotten to, you got to show some growth now. I guess, yeah. Six, that's, those six hours are going to fly by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially working with Lindsay because it's, um, we used to do McMaster Student Radio together, so it'll be great. But P, thank you for all of this. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, and I hope that, we don't have to wait another 10 years to talk to you about a, a Mac Vanier Cup again because there's new stories to be made there. But, uh, well, we're talking about the 10-year anniversary, so you're going to have to wait at least 11 because we're not going <laughs> to win it this year. The next 10-year anniversary is a minimum 11 years away. <laughs>